Hello and welcome to today's ResiCast. I'm Andrew Teacher from Blackstock and I'm here with Alex Note from Places for People Capital, here with Joe Moon from Whitbread and Johnny Caddick from Moda and Caddick Group PLC. So welcome to everybody. We're here talking about mixed-use development and the role that it's now playing, not just in residential, but in everything that we're seeing coming up in, in UK cities. And Alex Note, Places for People Capital, tell us a bit about where, where that sits because you're part of the, the bigger places for people group which was historically a housing association yeah that's right so um pfp was founded as the north british housing association over 50 years ago for a long time it was just a big uh, housing association we're doing some innovative bits around the edges but about 15 years ago our ceo was really the first um in that sector to register that they didn't want to be so dependent on grant funding and that actually also that the places the, the land they could afford to buy was um away from employment away from opportunity away from transportation and that actually we'd be better building um, fewer units of social housing and mixed tenure, mixed income places in better locations um, and actually also to cross-subsidise our own business, to have our own commercial activity so we can also do social housing. So we've been doing placemaking, you know, places for people, does what it says on the tin, um, for quite a long time and have had some real success with that and we've got JVs with people like Urban Splash and Tom Bloxham. But I think my big frustration with mixed use is that we still, as an industry, treat it as something really rare and, and special and weird. When if you talk to anybody outside our industry and you ask them what kind of place they would like, that's the kind of place they will describe. But I think we've over-professionalised our, our kind of industry. We've over-niched um, our asset classes. And so actually it then becomes very, very difficult to deliver those mixed use places. Because you think of things, this is a big box shared, this is a shopping centre, this is a block yeah. of flats. And that ticks our investment strategy for that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and I think unless you get larger scale operators who are willing to take a bit more risk on the mix of places, it's become something we've almost um, structured out of possibility. Yeah. And Johnny Caddick, the Caddick Group uh, is obviously historically a family-run property and construction business that's touched into pretty much every kind of asset class from from sheds to, to shopping malls and, and residential. And, and obviously we're seeing quite a lot of demographic change, a lot of structural shifts to technology and, and the way that people live their lives. And you guys have got experience working right across the, the gamut of, of industries, haven't you? Yeah, and we, um, uh, as a family business, we were formed 39 years ago. And about 2009, 2010, we refocused the business to focus on the regional cities and also, to put it crudely, beds and sheds. Um, that was a strategy that when we tried to look at future trends and put a strategy together of how we could exploit that, um, it was a clear strategy across the group and, and regionally. So we found a mode of living 2013, um, which has now got uh, over £2 billion of development um, pipeline. We've got over 7,000 units um, um, and with our strategic finance partner, Apache Capital. Um, and that, that works across the UK from Scotland down to, to Brighton and Hove. Um, and more recently, we're coming into London with the, the opportunities as the markets change there. And then on the uh, the rest of the development pipeline, we have a strategic land side, which has got over 10,000 units now coming through. Um, and on the shed side, we've got over 4 million square feet of sheds coming through in the next five years. So that's our kind of broad approach to it. We've uh, we've seen that there's a, there's a focus now on the regions, which is really exciting as a, a regionally based property company. Um, we're seeing there's a lot more growth, a lot more opportunities. Um, I think following 2008, there was a lack of jobs, there was a lack of prosperity. I think the regeneration that's happened because of retail and the leisure market has had a catalytic effect for a lot of the city centres. And now the jobs, the prosperity and the homes that have been delivered are producing proper mixed-use city centres. Yeah. And, and Joe Moon, Whitbread, lots of beds, but no sheds, thankfully. Yes. Um, so you've got 72,000 beds and, and over 750 hotels across the UK. And, and, and Whitbread obviously owns is known mostly for, for Premier Inn 
and for Costa. And, and your job at the minute is, is you know, you're being quite active, aren't you, in, in the acquisition side of things? Yes, and we've got um, a very strong pipeline coming forward. Um, it's been sort of publicly acknowledged that by 2020, we will have 85,000 rooms throughout the UK and we're on track to deliver that. I think um, one of the things that works in Whitbread's favour is its flexibility and approach to sites. So we'll look at town centres, we'll look at edge of centre, we'll look at outer centre. Um, we don't need to be in prime. Um, we can be flexible where we choose our locations and we can go above existing retail outlets to underpin development. So we work very well as a mixed-use shared operator. And, and your background um, is is obviously you know you've been in property for for a long time but you've worked with some, <laughs> some some really fascinating uh, experience you, you have working with asda and and with tesco during some of the the really it must have been really fun years at yeah, tesco my time at tesco was great fun they were highly acquisitive you were very Peter bold Leahy, weren't you yes I, I think i started just with lord mcclellan there and then i joined with um so then terry lee took over um and i think they were always at the forefront of mixed use development a lot of their schemes involved not just the the unit they traded but alongside them other retail uses and residential above um, I think Kensington is a great example where mm. Tesco worked with Peabody Trust and put flats above the units um, they were more dominant in out of centre locations however I think they looked at the market the trends what was going on and along with um, Sainsbury's went back into the town centre with their smaller formats um, to enable people to reflect their work-life balance with their shopping habits. So I think people are very busy now. They like to go home, pick up the meal for the evening and not do a weekly shop necessarily. So I think they adopted a very flexible approach to their strategy. Yeah, and and, and Alex Note, that's a large part of what Build to Rent is being formed as, is as a solution to people's changing lifestyles. Whereas, as Joe describes, people have got less time to do stuff and they want a kind of all-in-one response that can help support those various needs. Absolutely, there's the business. I think a lot of this started actually um, in the kind of 80s and 90s. So if you've done the walk around Manchester with Tom Blocks from Urban Splash, and he had a stat that blew my mind that in 1982, there were, I think, 800 people registered as living in urban, like city centre Manchester. It was it was deemed to be basically those enormous lofts were just vacant. People wanted houses in the suburbs and to go out. And you know that radical shift into making the city centre somewhere where people wanted to go again is really key i think build to rent comes after that kind of the loft living trend um but then that's completely unaffordable for many and you're needing to kind of create these new desirable places where people can actually feel that they're at home that they're not just in a kind of dormitory or a temporary thing um that it can actually be a place that they they are choosing to live and that's where the mix of uses underneath and around becomes really really key and, and johnny Caddick, what does this mean for for some of the northern cities so we're looking obviously we've seen lots of growth in manchester we're seeing lots of investment now in leeds and birmingham and and, and in in Scottish cities as well what 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 are some of these prevailing trends going to going to mean for the sorts of things that people are building well so it's probably the most exciting time to be involved with the regional cities I remember in 2012 talking to London developers thinking what's happening in the regions no one had any idea really and and this kind of catalytic catalytic effect that's been happening um, from different mixed uses is is so exciting and you see the vibrancy the people that want to live in these cities the jobs um, the retail and the leisure opportunities and that's that's and the key part is it's the jobs and it's retaining people because one mm. of the big big things that's really affected them is this hemorrhaging of talent where everyone comes out yeah. and has historically come down to London which is, is now starting to be reversed isn't it? Yeah if you look at a lot of the student beds there's some cities that have been very heavily developed for student beds in the past Sheffield, Manchester 
um, leads. And actually, there's, there was, it's the provision of jobs following that. So the biggest stat for me is the student retention rates for the city centre growth stats. It's, it's providing those homes for people after university, those jobs for people after university, the opportunities for career growth after, after university. And I think Manchester's leading the way with nearly 50% student retention rates. And if we could aim to do that across the UK, harness that, 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 um, that talent in the regions and give them the opportunities. I mean, people can have affordable homes in the regions. They can walk to work. They can have a better quality of life potentially than in London or certain areas of London. And I think there's, there's cities have got to sell themselves and there's a big opportunity there. So it's not just about, not purely about homes. And, and, and Joe Moon, from, a, from an employment perspective, clearly that's a big big plus for, for hotel development is, is that obviously you're often creating lots and lots of jobs, creating a lot of economic value for the immediate area. And you mentioned, we talked a bit before about some of the supermarkets creating smaller formats to go back into city centres with, you know, obviously higher value spend potentially per, per basket, but, but with less goods. And you've got this new product, this new concept, haven't you, with Premier Yes, Inn. we have, yeah. Um, so tell us a bit about that. Where does that fit into, where does that fit into to everything? Right, yeah. So it probably, it's not as new as it sounds, but about three or four years ago, we opened our first hub in St. Martin's Lane in... In London. Um, it is basically a high-tech, high-spec room. The rooms are slightly smaller, um, which has enabled us to go into locations where land values and prices are significantly higher. Um, and as a consequence, we can get more out of the envelope. Um, we find that when we go into locations like this, we add value to the community we serve, not just by job creation, but by the vibrancy we create in our restaurant areas, um, our bar areas. And whilst obviously we have lots of guests who stay with us, if you take um, King's Cross as a great example, which we opened um, last year, um, there's a workspace on the ground floor which enables people to sit and work in a good environment. We've got a cost of coffee. Um, so we put all our formats into the locations to provide a service not just to our guests but the community we serve. And it's got these really cool self-checking machines yes, as well. I shouldn't, shouldn't forget those. That's, that's, uh... Yes, it has self-checking. Um, most things are, are covered off on your iPad or your iPhone. Um, so you can get into your room, you can control the temperature, what you want to watch on the television. It's very good. Yeah. Right. Have you stayed in one? Yeah, I have. Good, works really yeah, no. well. I <laughs> know, yeah, um, and our guests love them. The scores are really good. Currently, they are in London and Edinburgh, but we're looking at other city centre locations and the wider UK market. But it allows us to be flexible and put the Premier in brand down in locations that otherwise we may not have been able to afford. Mm. And that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and Alex, Alex no, so you, know, you talked about segmenting different sorts of development, but mm-hmm. I, I suppose for you guys as investors on, in the residential space, how does it work? If, you know, if you're wanting to create somewhere that's got, ideally it's got a hotel, it's got a gym, that has got a bakery, that has got whatever it has around it, how, how do you control that? How do you make sure that happens? Uh, it's all about collaboration and partnership. I think the... What I wanted to come into was the, the challenge around um, what we're doing with city centres and re-enlivening them comes with it, inevitable gentrification. So if you look at Bristol, the city where I live, um, just as Johnny said, they've really worked hard on terms of student retention, but it's actually got this huge DFL down from London, um, boom, where you can get you know, an incredible phrase, DFL, DFL <laughs> down from London that. and they're bitterly, you know, um, people who can buy you know, housing stock for, frankly, a bargain price compared to what you were living in in London. Do you get UFL in Harrogate, Johnny? UFL. Is that, is that up, up from London. London. <laughs> But the the point of that is, Andy, is that right in the centre of Bristol, you know, predominantly, even 10, 15 years ago, you would go to some very key areas in the north of Bristol that were the higher value, higher end around the university. South Bristol, where I now live, you know, my husband, who went to university for four years and 
graduated in 2000 had never been there despite the fact that it's a mile from where he lived you just didn't go there it's part of two of the poorest wards in the UK it's got some really complex kind of issues um, it has one of the high streets the high street nearest where I live um, was one of Mary Portis's top 10 um, kind of worst ones in the UK um, and so that level of deprivation that's now come with this huge bubble of massive investment loads of really great schemes great innovative independent retail loads of really cool stuff going on but it you know it is pushing out there's a perception that it's pushing out local people communities who've been there for a really long time so I think that the biggest challenge is actually not necessarily even just getting the teams together to deliver all this new product and all these new types of uses it's about how do you blend it in with what was there before mm, work with allowing mm. it to be um something new and allowing it to be in places better but recognizing that heritage and that people have really tight affiliations to the kind of the greasy spoon or the bakery that they've always used and you know my high street now has four very flash different kind of organic independent bakeries using spelt but the local one that did the kind of basic burger baps and the, and the kind of sandwich lunches is closed and sometimes you you just kind of want a dirty burger don't you really i mean yeah, absolutely <laughs> and you need but how do you support that mix and i think that's so when you ask the question that actually i think is the bigger one well one of the interesting things i think so, so johnny caddick with with the, the one of the developments that you did for Tritax, the big box REIT in, in, in the north of England. And one of the things I thought was quite fascinating around that was a big box shed that you created essentially for TK Maxx as, as to be their main hub, their main distribution hub. And a, a huge part of that was was not just the, the jobs that I was creating, but but the the mix of amenity that went into that building to to really care for the welfare of the staff and that 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 seemed you know and i'm sure joe moon it must be similarly for whitbread in terms of how you look after your staff as well and creating those facilities so it's it is about creating jobs in those sorts of places like wakefield around you know yorkshire and some of those ex-mining towns that that have probably suffered over the years yeah i think when you look at um logistics a lot of the the occupiers are now looking where the jobs are coming from and the quality workers when those um those schemes. So the opportunities where, and we speak to a lot of the different guys, the, the Clipper Logistics are a good example, who are actually doing the, the last mile and working with the retailers on their delivery and, and turnaround of clothing. Um, it's all about the quality of the workforce and they will go into locations where, for example, the collieries shut down where you've got a very loyal, very, um, very um, highly skilled workforce that's been there for generations. And when unfortunately when these things close down, power stations close down, actually putting these these big logistics centers in these places is really appealing to the occupiers so there's little things like that as well as just the locations of the schemes. And there's presumably there's opportunities to create housing as well around the joining land and, and other facilities. Yeah and, and mixed use I mean in back in the days with shopping centers in the early noughties everybody was looking at putting residential above retail. The problem with putting residential for sale above retail is it affects the retail values for redevelopment breakup so people have been against that. Where built to rent could actually work, we feel very strongly, is that you can put it above retail, yet hold that retail value because you can still redevelop if you require to do because of the flexibility around the structure of BTR. So the big opportunity for mixed use that we see is across across these country, across the country with the retail schemes that have been on the drawing board now, is working with BTR developers, operators, to put those in place and create truly mixed use schemes. And this is something that Moda, so Moda would be up for, for doing these sorts of collaborations. Absolutely, we're, we're in discussions with um, shopping centre owners, the people looking to reposition shopping centres, retail parks, and we believe that is a, a, a massive opportunity to provide more homes in these locations. It could be a win-win. And, and, and Joe Moon, this is obviously something kind of, you, you've been doing this for, for a while, haven't you? Whitbread. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the hotels and a lot of the bigger schemes that you've been in, you were one of the first, uh, you were one of the first asset developers in, in Granary Square, part of King's Cross's redevelopment. And, and often, 
hotels like student housing will be that that catalyst that really mm. kicks off wider regeneration because obviously you go in and you're creating tons of footfall from day one lots of investment lots of spend which can then help support the development of other absolutely i mean i think one of the things and i reiterate what i said earlier is our flexibility i think in the next 10 weeks we're opening um, just over 600 new rooms and they're in locations such as town centres. Um, we've got Bromley opening, we've got Epsom opening. Um, we do have a lot of schemes based upon retail mixed use. Um, we've got Stratford, which is part of the shopping centre there. As you say, Granary Square. Um, we secured a site for our new hub that opened last year. Um, and we do play a part in the community. Um, just going back to your point, though, on employment. So one of the things that we find is that we, we employ very much from the local community. So we add value back to the community. Um, we allow and provide for flexible working hours, which means that people can have lives you know parents with children they can come in they can work they can do shift work um so we are flexible on our working times we also offer very very good training um which enables people to start you know at the bottom and work their way up um and one of the frustrations we sometimes have is that the planning authorities look at employment um, as one of the criteria for allowing development. And there is still this view that some of the jobs created are not, as they would call them, sort of real jobs. Mm -hmm. And I had this from my experience in, in the um, supermarket sector as well, in that we might create hundreds of jobs, um, but they're not considered necessarily real jobs in Even though terms. you can obviously offer people a pension, a career yeah. path and training. And, and you know, and that's, I think that's, that is the difference, isn't it, between working for a local coffee shop and working working for Costa or working as a as a service manager in I think it is in. changing you've got that you've got that plan you've got that career ahead of you yeah absolutely and I do think it is changing and I think people's views on on what is considered a proper job and what isn't is changing but um back back to Whitbread and Premier Inn and the hotel business um yeah we very much work with other people we work with developers we can take leases we can buy outright we can do joint ventures um and because our use is flexible we don't need to necessarily be on the ground floor we obviously have bar and block and we have restaurant uses that we mm -hmm. ideally mm -hmm. would like to see but if an area is too expensive and we're in collaboration with other parties we can go on the space above so it's um, not it's not an all or nothing approach no then. yeah Andy, so, what, one of the key things to build on what joe's been saying there around particularly childcare. this is something that i'm always arguing particularly with kind of policy officials and, and planners about at the moment is that this idea that actually still getting on the ladder is better than maybe renting in one of these town center built to rent developments and i kind of go fine you can buy a house in maybe zone six but unless you're you're independently wealthy most families with children will have both parents working at least part of the week and so actually you're then into the cost of in you know we have the highest childcare in the OECD nations in terms of cost we have enormously high commuting costs and so actually even if you can afford to get on the ladder and get that deposit together your mortgage is probably your third or maybe even fourth highest cost in the round of your kind of monthly budget it's just not viable whereas actually if you can provide as Joe said that kind of central accommodation and it is near a different kind of employment it includes some kind of localised childcare that's a vastly better living experience and financial experience frankly for a, a new family than trying to get on the ladder but perhaps being in somewhere that's isolated and they're away, away from all that so I think re-engineering our, our sort of planning and our policy systems around the kind of the reality of life now it, it, is, is the biggest challenge for us it's, it's a good point I mean Johnny obviously someone that's about to have a, a second child this is obviously presumably going to be something to the top of your mind quite soon mm. um, so congratulations on that obviously Thank you, um, but but back to Alex's point of, of, of what needs to change 
Alex mentioned this culture of home ownership at all costs has been pretty damaging. And, and obviously we're seeing consumer debt levels soaring over the last few years. That's obviously not going to be helped by interest rates going up and people's mortgage costs going up. But but when it comes to you know the, some of the planning constrictions that, that Joe also talked about, what sort of things would change? I mean, for example, if we looked at having a, a permitted development-like framework that, that applied to all city centre brownfield sites, would, would that would that enable companies like yours to invest a bit more, would, to take a bit more risk? I think, think in certain locations, I think you've got to look at it geographically where you're developing. And we develop across the UK. Um, it's very different uh, driving a build-to-rent scheme forward in Edinburgh than it is in Leeds, Manchester, Brighton, and in central London. So it goes by the specifics of the location and it goes with the education. I think that's the biggest thing about Build to Rent is educating the local population, um, the planners about what the opportunities are. And I think as a, as a city centre, truly mix of BTR, of home ownership, it needs to be sustainable on those different levels. So um, honestly, it is by a location specific. I couldn't say a blanket approach would work in, in our view. But um, there's one, I'm just taking one stack because it's one of my favourites. ONS study shows that more than 50% of children born now will be only children. Um, by 2021, over 50% of families will only have one child. So our understanding of what family housing needs to be is actually really behind. You can have good quality family housing and build torrent developments where people can have security of tenure, get their kids into a local school, be able to commute to a, a kind of a large place and have, have space, but have that shared immunity and use it and feel at home and personalise it. They do not need necessarily to be in a sub- suburban property yeah. on a ladder. And I think on the family points, it's really important because when you look at the provision for rental stock at the moment with independent landlords, one of the restrictions they have is for the lenders, if they've got debt, they can't offer usually longer than a year um, secure tenancy for a family. And the problem with families is as soon as they move into that accommodation, the clock's ticking. They've got kids at schools. They get set up in those locations. So the power shift becomes to the landlord when they come to renew the tenancy. So there's a big responsibility and an opportunity for buy to, uh, build to rent to provide these homes with secure family-friendly tenancies for a family to know where they're going to be in three, five years' time. So there's a, there's a big social responsibility. And, and, this, been, and it's, it's been a very key, key thing that the government's been, been champing at a bit about this, this sense of offering longer-term tenancies. And I mean, finally, just to wrap up, Joe jo Moon, um, if you could ask the, the Housing and Planning Minister for, for one thing at this year's Resi Convention, what, what would that be? Well, you, know, you talked a bit about uh, more of a flexible approach to recognising employment. We've, we talked a bit about planning. Is there anything that, that you would like to request? Um, I think... One of the challenges, I think, is consistency in terms of um, how they adopt the policies, because we find that um, it's not consistent throughout the UK, um, and that would really help, I think, if there was a consistent approach to, to planning policy. Fantastic. Well, look, that's, that's, that's really fascinating stuff. Thank you very much to Johnny Caddock from Caddock Group and from Moda, to Alex Note from Places for People Capital, and to Joe Moon from Whitbread, and we'll see you at this year's Resi Convention between the 12th and the 14th of September. Thank you.